Hey everyone, it's Sean, and in today's episode of The Meaningful Revolution, we're interviewing teacher and author Terry Lynch. Now, Terry has such a big heart as a teacher, as someone that's very empathetic. You'll hear him mention how much of an introvert he is a couple of times. And this was the first podcast interview he'd done, but did a great job. And we're talking about how he started a publishing company during COVID and written a series of books since then. And, and what's really cool about it, his new book that we're primarily talking about, Woken History, is all about shedding light on different perspectives in history. And this is woke, not as in the, how it is out in the world right now. It's just this kid wakes up in history to experience Egypt, to experience all these different areas. That's such a creative idea and really sets to inspire people to be curious and explore more of other cultures and other parts of history. So I really enjoy this conversation. I always enjoy interacting with Terry. Uh, again, because he is such a big heart, such a positive attitude, you can't help but really feel that he cares and that he really wants to make an impact with the people around him. And I think he does successfully. So with that said, I'd love to introduce you to Terry Lynch and enjoy our conversation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Meaningful Revolution podcast. And today's guest is a family friend, a really great guy, an educator and an author of a bunch of books, but one in particular we're going to be talking about today. I'd love to introduce you to my good friend, Terry Lynch. Hey, Terry, how's it going, man? Hey, America, how are you doing? How are you doing, Sean? Thank you so much for bringing me on. I truly appreciate that. Likewise, man. Like, I... I love talking to authors and of course because of our personal connection like I, I love the chance that we get to create something here today with in this interview first uh you're an author you have a, a publishing empire you started over the pandemic would you could you tell us about a time maybe bef right before that what caused you to make the decision to start writing and a little bit about your journey. So just a story about how you got into this, to being an author. As I told you before, and we had this conversation with Mr. Lyers and everybody else that I've talked to, this was not planned whatsoever. <laughs> the plan for me was to go to school, to be a lawyer, to talk to people, make them cry, make tons of money. That was the plan. And then I ended up Graduating with a history degree, a minor in communications degree in the law. And then with that, I ended up going away to doing the whole corporate thing, hated it, owned my own restaurant in Florida, which was a clothing and Italian restaurant. Trying to, yeah, trying to understand that. Where you, I, I'm actually <laughs> born from the, from the Caribbean and I'm, I was born from a small island called Montreal. Most of my cousins have dreads. So imagine all of us in the kitchen making your pizza or making your lasagna or your stromboli. And we're just there twirling pizza and doing things like that. And then I ended up selling that, coming back up to Boston where I grew up in uh, Mattapan. Had to give you a shout out, Mattapan in Boston. And then I ended up going in for a substitute position 
And I went in that day and absolutely loved it. And just after that, became a teacher. It's funny because I have colleagues who told me that you have this way of being able to read kids who don't want to reach. And I'm just like, okay. I downplay a lot of the things that I've done in my life. If you would have told me that I would have already done corporate America, that I've already owned my own business in the food industry. If I, if you told me that I would have been a successful author or publisher or anything like that, I would have told you no. But as I dealt with more kids with learning disabilities, ADHD or hard time reading or disabilities or anything like that, I felt to them because I can remember when I was in high school and I had this huge problem with being able to concentrate and things like that. I came from the way that I'd want to be taught. And mm. that was able, how I was able to reach a lot of kids, not knowing that in my early forties, I was diagnosed with ADHD. I never knew that I had a learning disability from all those years. That was just me just figuring it out different ways to just like cope and figure it out. But there was no one there to just be like, Hey, why don't you do it this way and do it that way? So now the way that I teach that way on how I'd want to be taught, because my attention span is horrible. And I'll be the first person to stop you. And I apologize <laughs> to everybody for that. I've told my students that, that my attention span is horrible and they laugh all the time. The more that I worked with kids, the more I was just like, oh, I know for me, why don't you do it this way? And we broke down different ways that you could read something or how you can outline something or like different things to edit. And then history was my major in college because I just love knowing about history. I think it's just mm -hmm. some of the coolest thing to hear, hear about. Like, you think about it, you tell my students, but like, Think about King Henry VIII is thinking about outfits that they wore and how they were able to do this and that. I should, that's gangster. <laughs> then I was like, okay, I was messing around, helping out in a classroom type of history and I was just going over some stuff and I broke it down in a way that the kids could understand it because the way that they're reading it, they're going through the regular textbook and the way the textbook is, it's just like one picture here and then all this and then you were there from the way they're sneaking. I'm just like, all right, and I can. Messed around and broke down something again to students. Mr. Lewis, this is great. Are you just trying to get a good grade? Because I'm not going to give you one good trying to let her know. But that's how it all started, honestly. And then with the pandemic happening and things like that, we were all stuck inside, couldn't go outside. I have two children. Myself, I have a son who's 11. And I have a daughter who's eight, going on 30. And I have a beautiful, beautiful wife that you can only be with them for so long before you're ready to write and bought like bouncy trampolines just so the kids could be outside so they have to deal with them and stuff like that. <laughs> but the more, but then I got back in my roots. I found one of my old world history books from high school and I was going through it and I was just like, ah, oh, this is cool. But then the more I read it, the more I was just like, wait a second. As you can see, I'm a person of color and I was like, wait a second. For all the years that I've been in school. We've had only one month of black history and stuff like that when there's so many different things. And the more research I did, the more things I was like, oh, this person did this. Oh, this person did that. It started out with me just taking down some history stuff and just looking for things. And I was just like, what if there was some type of book where, you know, they concentrated on that. So it's just not just like one month of black history. It could be like, Every month. Okay. So, yeah. It comes to, and then I was like, well, I need it to be in a way where it can actually attract the reader and keep their attention. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make up my make-believe cast and I named them Davis. And I don't even know how it ended up with that. I think I was watching an NBA game and I think I was watching Anthony Davis and I think he dumped on someone. I was like, oh, I was like, all right, let's do it. So I took that. Yeah. Okay, you're it. 
<laughs> the podcast people right now are getting all of the tidbits right now from my book and all of my still units that goes out in my head. So I was like, all right, we've got Davis. And then I was like, how can Davis speak to these people? And I was like, well, if he finds the magic book. And I was like, oh, okay. So now he found the magic book. And I was like, all right, let's make the magic book gold because gold is beautiful. And then <laughs> I focused, I was like, what would Davis want to do? Let's make him like a teenager, right through age, like middle school, like seventh to eighth grader. And then he finds the magic book and he reads the words. And then all of a sudden he disappears. And when he opens his eyes, he's, whoa, he's in Africa. But of course, he doesn't know what Africa really is. So then he talks to someone and then he's telling them. And then, then it turns into, and it's evolved over this whole time period when I started the book. So first it was supposed to be Davis just in Africa. And then it was supposed to be like this long thing. And then I was just like, ah, that doesn't appease to me. And then where I'm crumpling up papers and I'm throwing them. And I'm like, what if I made every chapter its own separate episode? And I was like, ooh, crazy. So then it turned into that. So every episode or every chapter in the book is its own standalone episode. And then I made it to the point, like, you don't have to start with chapter one. You might want to start with the prologue so you can see him actually get the book. But then after that, you pick whatever chapter you want. So then it turns into that, that I took some tickets for my family because I have some family members who are Rastafarian. So then I was like, okay. And I wanted to learn a little bit more about it. So I did the research and I was like, all right. And the actual first original Davis story, which is Woken History, East Africa, because it takes place in East Africa. He's actually in Ethiopia and he meets Haley Swassiai, who happens to be the emperor of Ethiopia, and who also is, quote unquote, the father of the Rastafari movement, where he is my second coming. It starts out with that. And then I did that and they focused on Ethiopia and then hit Tanzania and then hit Kenya. And then I was just like, when I edited it kind of quick, kind of, and then when he woke up in Egypt, and then I don't know if you've seen the movie, I'll take a moment with Charlton Heston and I'm running years ago, so, yeah. the most epic movie ever, hashtag take a and Charlton Heston <laughs> and So I have, and being in the culture I'm from, religion is a huge thing, whether you're Anglican, Catholic, or. Lutheran, whatever, but like, church is a huge thing. Looking at the Ten Commandments actually focuses on Moses, and Moses actually is the Ten Commandments to give so everyone can be closer to God. And then I was just like, all right, wait a second. Not thinking that now that I'm older, but wait a second. They were in Egypt? If you watch the movie, the movie like Egypt was like this crazy place with all this like, wealth and things like that. But yeah. I know for me, when I was like, must have been like, I don't know. Five, six, seven. They had all these commercials for like, Ethiopia and they had the kids sitting there with like, flies on their heads or their eyeballs or something like that. And, um, and I never saw it two together, not realizing that Ethiopia one time was like one of the wealthiest places mm-hmm. ever in, in the world. Not just Africa, but the world. Yeah. So then I was like, that's when I was like, oh, like I'm going to focus on that. So like he ends up in Egypt and then I literally have... And, and the crazy thing is the first one is actually 41 chapters. So it's wow. 41 different episodes. <laughs> yeah. I put a little, uh, I think the ADHD, like once I get on something, I'm off on it. 41. I was like, 41 is uh, a little bit too much. I took 41 of those episodes and put it into the new book, which is this one right here. Okay. There we go. Really yeah, I'm trying to figure out this whole thing. Sorry, everybody. Technology is not my thing. Oh, you're great. Yeah, it's, you're yeah. doing great. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so I took 21 episodes and I put it in back 
And then, because it was shorter, made more sense. And then, luckily, I gave much props and much love to my students because they started reading it. And when I asked them, I was like, well, did you like it? They were like, we need another episode of this lunch. And that's where they turned into, oh, maybe I should make an actual book out of it and release it. But then I was like, oh, what could I do to make it better? And they're like, leave pictures. And I was just like, you're right. It needs pictures. Pictures are good. <laughs> so then I got an illustrator to go and illustrate the stuff in the book. And then, voila, we have Woken History, Leaders of the Sand, which is, it's not the first book. But honestly, I think I found something where I want to do stories like that and have the illustrations in there like that. I still have Woken History, East Africa. I still have the Woken History... Leaders of the Sand with the 41 mm -hmm. chapters. And I'm even messing around with Woken History, North America. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think from now on, I think what I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for these stories with the illustration. Because I think the illustration is just like it adds a new element to the book itself. Oh, totally. So, yeah. You are gracious enough to. to... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're fine. This is what the podcast is for. Yeah, you sent me over a couple of the illustrations and they're, I was getting like a graphic novel type vibe from it, which is super awesome. And, and as a amateur history buff too, it's just so cool to see ancient Egypt. I nerded out so hard on that in sixth grade. I, at one time I could name all of the Egyptian gods and all that stuff. It's a world. Yeah. It's so cool. Well, when I started, I couldn't stop. I do the laundry and the cooking and stuff like that at the house. And I also coach. I go to school and teach. Then I coach, come home, make dinner, and then write. And then I'm writing all the way until like three or four. Because let me tell you something. If you have ADHD and you don't, and you start and you can't stop, you can't stop. There have been many times when my wife has come in and she looked at me and she's been like this. Or <laughs> she's just giving me the look. If you married, you know what that is. I was just like, <laughs> Right on. All right. There's a lot of information there. I guess the, the most pressing question I have is how did you come up with the title Woken History and as like the name of the series? I, it seems but, maybe obvious, but well, I'd love to hear your thoughts. For me, the reason why I came up with Naked History was just this, because every story with Davis, when it, it starts out with Davis opening, opening his eyes, because mm -hmm. literally he's waking up to your trance that he was in, because from the previous story, when he looked at the book, and he's touched the cover and he disappears. Like literally he just he disappears instantly. And then once he opens up, it's just like he wakes up and then he's in a new place, has no idea where he is. He's got to figure out where he is by looking at the surrounding area or speaking to someone or, but he never knows who he's supposed to meet. And that's the beauty thing about it. I, I am tinkering around with one episode where when I hit like a parts of the world, like he just wakes up and he gets to meet Genghis Khan or something like that, just out of nowhere, not knowing who it is, but that's, and that's how the story, that's how you get it. Because for me, I wanted it to be like, okay, what if I didn't know anything on this mm -hmm. topic? So the reason I have it is well, basically you as the reader are David. You're sitting there and you're trying to figure out, okay, let me do 20 questions to figure out where I am. What did you do? Why are you so important that I'm in front of you right now? And then with that, with David being a, a young man, he's got to learn to be polite, <laughs> understand that if you speak to a monarch in a certain way, there could be consequences. <laughs> and I kept it pretty TV for now. Besides this, when he gets older and gets into the other stairs, which I'm going to do, which is going to take around with America and the, uh, the civil war and slavery and things like that. 
Yeah, there, there might be some stuff where it's like, yeah, yeah. But if you look at the generation now, like, some of the things they're watching now, it's nothing compared to what they're about to see. That's the next step. Okay. Right on. I love that. So the question now that I think is maybe interesting because maybe you found about this or maybe not, but I know that out in the culture now, the word woke mm -hmm. is this weird, like, lightning rod in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think about that when naming uh, your your book, or was it just you just following the idea? Just I just to tell you the honest truth, Sean, that was not my cool. my that was not what I was trying to do. And the reason why I wasn't trying to do this when I first came up with this idea, the idea that came up literally during the pandemic, before everything really took off with everything. So I had that whole thing of because just I was just thinking, oh, okay, he wakes up. And I was thinking past tense because he woke up at that moment. Yeah. And then as it goes on, that's what I was thinking. I'm toying around with maybe even changing the name to Awaking to History, Awaking Up to History. I don't know, but it's something that I came up with years ago before the whole woke movement happened. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to be known as some champion for something like for a cause like that, which I think is an amazing cause because I think it is. But my whole purpose for when I came up with the title was just because I'm just like, okay, like he just woke up in front of him. And then that's when I was like, oh, and that's how I came up with the title, literally. And then now looking at it as things have evolved in our society right now, which is still crazy to think that we're in a day and age that this is going on in 2023, about to be 2024 and a few which is shocking. Same here. Yeah, with all the, the weird book bannings on ideology and, and stuff. That's got to be, as an author, something you're at least concerned about, I'd imagine. And, like, the impacts of that. We could do a whole podcast just on this subject. <laughs> and I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to wade into it because we're here to talk about your book and the good work you're putting out. So, the ship gears a little bit. Is okay. there anything that you found really surprising in doing research or as you've been writing about these, about history from the perspective of Davis? Okay. So from the perspective that I've noticed with all the research that I've been doing, which has been super amazing to me, I think the first thing is what I told you before when I did my research on Ethiopia, mm -hmm. because I had it drilled in my head, not drilled, I should say, I think I should say I had it in my head this perception of what Ethiopia was, mm. not realizing what it really is in terms of history itself, the impact that nation has had, mm. and not thinking about putting two together with the Bible and putting two together with the country and not even realizing that the place of Egypt is in Africa. I know for me, like, did we really go over geor geography too much? Like when we were younger, we were just like, okay, here, here are the continents and stuff like that. And this is just folks right here, not putting two together, being like, oh, you just really in Africa? Oh, you had literal kings and queens greater in concepts than some of the royalty that you've seen in Europe. Because I don't believe like, like when I was in seventh and eighth grade, like seventh grade, we did world history, which we focused mostly on European history. So we boy in Montserrat, which is like British monarchy. I was like, yo, this is great because I get to learn about the queen, the king of England, because I'm, I'm part British because I'm Montserratian and stuff like that. So I was like, ooh, but I was just like, wait a second. Now that I'm doing this research here, you had some more intriguing, more greater monarchies in Africa than you, you did maybe mm -hmm. in Europe. 
and you don't realize some of the things that you find when you're doing your research. So it was that. It was learning about the pharaohs, which was like so cool with some of the things that they did, like finding out. So one thing I realized in culture, we've and it's come a long way than what it used to be, where it was understood women had their place. They were only supposed to do this, not allowed to do that. It was in a lot of the culture, even in Africa as well. And some of the research I was finding out was that you had female pharaohs. Well, you had queens who were married to kings, but you had actually women pharaohs who literally had monuments made to them in the impersonation of a male, but they were a female, but in the impersonation of a male because they were still the pharaoh, but they were female, which I thought was really intriguing. So between all the stuff that I've done with Egypt, and uh, I've done with Ethiopia. I'm actually doing some stuff right now with uh, Sudan, South mm-hmm. and North Sudan, which is really interesting just to see what's going on or the history of there. Or there's one that I still have to do, which is Hannibal, which it's, yeah. perfect. it's supposed to be one shocking, but that might be a ministry, honestly, to what <laughs> he was able to do. And then even some research, not to go off on a tangent, but I also did some research they had. So I remember sitting down and I'm watching that picture and I found something on Yatsuke, who happens to be the first African samurai in Japan. Cool. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It's Japanese <laughs> animation, which is amazing to me because I love that. So I was like, I looked at it and then I was like, okay, so I did some research. So then I actually wrote a Davis story on Yasuke, where he actually ended up in Japan just to interview Yasuke just to get information. That was cool. I had a couple of my students read that, and they thought it was super cool, and I did some research on that, trying to find out if there were other African or any African samurai, which they said that there were, but there was never any, like, documentation of it. So I was just like, okay, tidbits for all the listening about that. It's, it's going to be coming out probably in the next three to five months, maybe, but I'm planning on doing a story on three siblings to get trained by Yasuke and cool. two brothers and a sister. So it's the element of they're obviously from Africa, migrated over to Japan. So you have two brothers, but you have a sister. And in those cultures, you're not allowed to be a samurai. Well, it's going to be, there's going to be a focus on that as well. So. Little tidbit for the listeners out there right now that's coming in probably three to five months. I'm working on it right now, and that's going to be a graphic novel as well. I think everything I'm going to do from now on, unless it's a mafia book or something like that, it's going to be a graphic novel. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks. That's super cool. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, no, totally. I'm not sure if this is going to be a fruitful area to explore or if we want to yeah. focus on this, but. I'm curious, like for me, I really got into history in middle school because mm-hmm. there's a book in our library that was all about the conquistadors and how terrible they were to, to people, what? like tying people up the poles, lighting their feet on fire, trying to tell me where the gold is, basic kind of crazy, terrible Cortez type stuff. And so then you contrast that to what we get, Siri. We contrast that to what we learn in school, which is a very, partly I think it's sanitized for kids, right? Because you don't want to expose them to the horrors of the world, right? (laughs) But it's also 
maybe a little bit of an avoidance strategy so we don't have to think about how <laughs> not awesome like a Eurocentric history really is. Because yeah, it's great for the Europeans. It's not so great for a lot of the, almost everyone that they meet out in the world in my personal research on it. So when we talk about like the history of Africa, which doesn't get highlighted enough, you learn about Egypt, you learn about Carthage because in relations, all of it in relations to like ancient Rome, right? Look, as a teacher, how do you, how do I want to phrase this? Do you think about how those different perspectives are really additive to understanding humanity? That's not, that ended up being a way bigger question than I intended it to be, but I think it's an important so question to ask. I, mean, I know for me, shout out to my colleague at the OD school that I, I work at, who make it a point to educate our children in a way that they're learning things. I give them so much credit because for me, I'm learning from them. And I will sit in a history class and I'll listen. And I think from our days growing up when we were younger, I think we were more sheltered, I would say, just like you said. But I think now the way that this generation is, there are some things that they're talking about and they're looking into back in our day. We would have never heard about that stuff. We never talked about it. So I think times are changing. I think it's for the good because I think that a lot of kids need to experience and they need to learn about some of the stuff that happened that we don't know about. And the only reason we know about it is because you had the song Renegade pioneers who put themselves out there to make sure that we got the information. And I'm hoping, as I said before, when I will tell everybody that I am the biggest introvert ever on the entire planet. I do not like being the focus of anything by hand of choice. I'm a huge wrestling fan, so I would wear, I, I would prefer to wear like a luchador mask so no one can know who I am and just play the, and play the back. I'm hoping that not only will my book be able to educate not only just middle school and high school and adults, because I remember being asked, oh, so your book is geared for like middle school and stuff like that. And I had to sit there and think about it. And I was just like, it's geared for everybody. Because I was just trying, it started out with me just giving a story out to a seventh grader for them to read to see if they liked it. And then they said, oh, there's so much we want more. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> and then somehow a, a fifth grader and a fourth grader, because they're similar to those same kids, saw it. And they were like, did you really think we get more? And I was like, okay. But then with the relationship that I've made with some of my past students where they're college students, or they graduated from college, or they're getting their master's degrees, or they're in the real world. And I still stay in touch with a lot of my students. Like they still, That's out of cool. the blue, I remember one time I'm driving home from Boston to the Cape or something like that. And I literally was on a five-way call with students that I had eight years ago. <laughs> and they were like, I'm like, what are you guys doing calling me? They're like, we just wanted to just see how you were doing. And just for us to give you a check-in, just see how we're doing. And I was just like, okay. And then I reached out to them and let them know what I was doing. And they read from the top and they were like, this is really great stuff. Yeah. So for me, I think my story, I think hopefully it touches like everybody and it can help anyone, no matter what age or anything like that. And I think that'd be my goal of the books. I want the books to be able to, and I hate to say, but there's some true stuff there that 
we don't want to acknowledge they're out there, but if my books are able to bring out some of those truths in a way that the kids can actually learn from them to be better people, because that's all I really want, then I've done my job. And something I have to share, I didn't get into teaching for the money. I didn't get in for, I didn't get into writing books for the money. Writing the books, believe it or not, is a stress relief for me. But I think one of the greatest things I ever had was, and this was pretty recent, where a parent pulled me aside and said, hey, Terry, I got to talk to you. And all I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, all right, which kid did I yell at this time? And then they were like, they're like, no. I, I was like, what did I do? They're like, nothing. What the thank you? I was like, what did I do now? They were like, well, my, my son is, loves your book. And I was like, are you sure he's just not saying that because she still wants that big grade? And she's like, no, apparently he's made her sit down with him. He's made mm-hmm. the entire family get the book. They sit down and they read the book. He's trying to organize like an actual like, book club to the book. And I didn't know about it. I just thought, I had a rumor for the great that was happening. I was just like, all right, whatever. But apparently, as she was like, basically to get for my son to actually be able to enjoy reading, you don't even understand how much I appreciate all of that. And to hear that, Sean, that made my entire day, <laughs> my week, my month, my year. I look like the happiest person ever. To be able to hear that like, a young man or a young woman is reading something that I wrote and they're actually reading and they enjoy it, that's why I got into teaching. That's why I got into education. Not for the fame, even though when you are a teacher, Technically, your classroom is your kingdom, and you are technically a monarch, which is cool. <laughs> but, but that's why a lot of us got into it. We got into it from the fact that we Right. Um, and I don't know you too terribly, but my wife knows, has known you from way back in the day because <laughs> our wives talk and are, are close friends. But I do know, just from what I've noticed, you're a very curious person. You're very, very easy to connect with. And so it doesn't surprise me that your writing and that curiosity about the world would draw people in. So I wanted to at least point that out and acknowledge that from my point of view, that it, it makes a lot of sense where kids would be like, this is awesome. I want to show everyone or anyone, well, not just kids, just anybody. I, so I think I'm just a big, I feel like I'm just a big kid at heart. Like I'm in tune, I know for me, like I'm sitting here and if I'm doing something or if I'm listening to something and if I'm not like engaged, I'm like, this is boring, this is a waste of my time, let me go sit around with a, a pen or something like that. And I think I just try to think on that level just to try to listen because half the time the kids, they just want to kidding because I don't remember someone saying to me like halfway, I'm having difficulty with that clock. How did you get that kid to do that? I was just like, I just told him to. <laughs> <laughs> I have no particular chuckly. If I knew the whole special sauce that would get kids to do whatever you wanted them to do with something like that, I would do that selling and whatever. But honestly, it's just like, just did. if you were to ask me, how do you connect with the kids you connect? I was like, I didn't go in there and I figured out maybe it's the one year of psychology that I took or something like that. But I know for me, I want to be treated with respect. And so you treat them with the same type of respect. If they don't give you that respect, then why didn't you ask me respect them? But they need to learn and understand that you are older than them. I mean, the reason that we do the things that we do is because we want to try and make things better for you. And I think that's what I try to get out to them. But yeah, that's, that's my old teaching thing. And I always get into this whole conversation about teaching and things like that. Just like talking to my students, I'll, I'm not going to lie. I lie to them sometimes. 
talking about my students, but I can't take the full credit. Honestly, I have to give much credit to my colleagues. Every good teacher, and there are some amazing teachers out there, but a lot of teachers are humble enough to take a little bit from something from another colleague. He sees something that another colleague is doing that works. Take a little bit of it and make it your own. And like I tell you, people who have taken things from 15 years ago, and I, I literally will call them up and be like, yo, I'll use that idea just to let you know. And like <laughs> laugh about it. But yeah, I'm telling you. They say I'm an incredible teacher. I'm an incredible teacher for the colleagues that I have, the colleagues that I've worked with. That's why I am the way that I am. I feel like everybody should get treated with the same type of respect that he would want to be treated. Still feel like that, even to the day, like times when I'm just like, it's not like that, but I still feel like that's how it should be. I think mm-hmm. in the way I was raised, I yeah, 100% from the Caribbean, like where like, we're still, I still fear my mother. I'm not going to lie. She's way yeah. shorter than me, but I don't, you're a minister. I don't know, but I tell you right now, like, you know, think that I, that I, I appreciate everything that you've done for me. And now I understand why you told me not to do it. take me on my own case, being older, to think like that. But I just have to go and give like a shout out to John and Roselle Lynch for making me how I am. And the rest of the family click that has made me the way I am. And my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my brother, my sister, never think like that. I'm, I am the way I am because of the people that I've been around and the friends that I've made as well, including your wife and yourself. Thank you. Wow. And I think this leads into another interesting topic about community. So Mm -hmm. you just list, I think we're all products of our, the people we surround us ourselves with. You just named off a bunch of people that helped you become an excellent teacher. And I'm sure that you've also influenced in the, the same manner we're trading tips or like, oh, that's a really smart idea. I'll borrow that and, and apply it to, to what I'm doing. But getting back to your book, getting back to where, what people find meaning in community is one of those things people find meaning in. What really? kind of community do you hope to build with the series that you're working on? Combining history and curiosity and exploration. Have you thought about that, that maybe? I, I, honestly, that's an amazing question, Sean. And the reason why I say that's an amazing question is because it made, that question is something I thought about at, on my journey. Where I live, we have a huge Brazilian population here on the island I live on. And I wanted to learn more about them. Some classmates, a lot of them are Brazilian. They'll come to the house and they're so respectful. And they come to the house and they're like, hey, let's go lunch. And I'm like, what's up? Or something like that. <laughs> so I'm hoping that the community I build where by when you read the book and you're just like, oh, I never knew that's what happened. Or I just learned something new where I can go to, well, in case if I meet some of these from Ibaz, relatives from Africa or Brazil or South America or anything like that, they have their conversations to be like, I read, I read a book and what if they like? Because for me, I know that I sit there and I ask, oh, what are some of the things like in Brazil? Because I've never been there. I only know the results from the past three years movie. Let's be real, America. I've never been there because I just not, have not traveled. But from the people that I've met, I'm like, yo, why have I not been to Brazil? Or why have I not been to a place like Samoa? I lead. And it's funny because I was just watching Moana last night with my daughter. <laughs> Fantastic movie, by the way. Really? And then, and if you look at it, there's a lot of Samoan references inside of it that you might not realize 
The only reason I realized that, and I know that, is because when I went to Northeastern University, I had a friend who was from Samoa. And I didn't even know what Samoa was mm -hmm. until she told me about it. And she told me about it. I was like, really? I was like, it, and I didn't want to sound ignorant. Like, you got Hawaii? Nope. Samoa is a whole separate thing. And I was just like, okay. So then I started doing some research on Samoa. Then like, you do research on Samoa? Yo, I want to go there. Because like, you look, <laughs> like, if you see something be intricate, like, tattoos and stuff like that, it's secret. Big guys are considered beautiful there. So I definitely want to go there. I'm <laughs> so I could have got it. But, but literally, like, it's things like that. It's like you're able to learn about a new culture, learn about a new place. And then you're like, oh, well, I want to talk to this person. It's like when I went to high school, I grew up in, I grew up in Madapan. Madapan, Madapan, Boston. The only place that I went to was like Dorchester, Madapan, High Park. Down there, Yelling, things like that. Madapan Square, things like that. So when I went to high school, I met people of Irish descent. I didn't know about that because in my mind, I was like, I had like tunnel vision of, oh, everybody like, yeah, this is how we do things when stage are line different. So learned about like Irish culture. And then like when I went to college and then finding people who had Russian descent and they were telling me about that. And then they were telling me about people from Spain. I was like, wait, Spain, actual Spain. And like people from like Mexico or people from like Guatemala. And I'm like, wait a second, those are completely different because yeah, Guatemala's big, Colombia, like in South America, they're completely different. The more things that I've learned, the more things I'm like, you know what? I want to learn more. And I think I'm, I, and I'm being selfish because I'm using the reason of writing this book to get to learn more about those different cultures. Mm -hmm. Is it a win? I guess it's a win. Could I say yeah. I'm being accomplish a little bit because I get to learn about these cultures and now I'm writing about them because I'm learning about them. And I want other people to know. Because, yo, it's a beautiful thing. When you learn about a culture that you didn't know, actually, it's an amazing thing. Like when I met my wife, I didn't know anything about my dress. Like when I met her, I didn't know anything about Marcus. And you know, I'm like, what's that? She's like, I, I never knew. I didn't know that that existed until I met her. So she didn't know anything about my dress. So for her to actually... When we got married and she liked about like my family, the different things that we do. And then and if you met some of my family members, it's hard to understand. Some of them. I had to be the translator, which is actually okay. quite an interesting thing as well. So to answer your question, I'm hoping that this book will be hopefully a bridge for a starter where other people get curious and fascinated about learning about cultures, where they want to learn about other books. Because I've, I'm not going to lie, in some of the books, what I, in some of the episodes, what I've done, I thought it was like, oh, I want to know more. If you want to know more, try and do some research or meet someone who knows about that and talk to them. So I'm trying to make people, I'm like, like this generation now, they want kind of everything getting to them. And like, you know, you got to do a little work. And you're in the full just class. And just, let's go give you everything just like that. You got to figure it out yourself. Oh, I love that. And the challenge of it, of it's there for you, but you got to do a little bit of work, which I, exactly. I think is, is something that we really, and I'm, I sound like the old guy now yelling at the cloud from the Simpsons, like back in my day, <laughs> like we had to work and I'm sure it's not as dramatic as I thought, but okay. So another question I have for you is, you know, you said something like, I remember like, earlier today when you're like, oh, I remember when it was like. And I wish I was taught in a different way. I'm going to teach the way that I wish I was taught as a, a student. You talk about relating to all these people from different cultures and just being really curious. And so I'm, my question is, 
were you always empathetic and curious and that informs the work or and I'm, I'm imagining there's a connection with the more you learn about other cultures as you do the, this, this research and exploration, you become more empathetic to the human experience. But ha have you always had that, that sense of empathy for people? And has that really driven a lot of this work? I think for me, I can always say I'm what's known a, a people cleaner. If I had my way, I wish everybody would be happy and I would do whatever I can that everybody would be happy. That's me. So I think some of that is get tight me in the course of my work because I'll meet someone and I'll just try to think, oh, try being in their shoes. That's probably not the best situation. If you say, for instance, if you've moved here for your way of life or your country, you come here, you don't know anyone, completely different culture than what you used to, where you've moved to views you not in the same as you were if you were back where you were. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I try to think like that and I try to think, okay, let me try the issue a lot of the time. But I also feel like sometimes if you have a closed-minded thought on something, I think it's the job of someone who is a defendant of that situation. You try to make that person realize, hey, why don't you try to think and come from that point of view of where they're talking. So I would say like me, I've always been in the, I've, I've always been a people first team and a people either. So I've always been that type of person who's always wanted to try and understand and not be like that person. I was the one thinking you should it. I'd make it a point just to be able to hold on. You knew that he's how it goes here and that and that. Having only a couple of dogs being younger, but you learn about it. I, I guess I would say my son is like that because he does that now, which oh, is super cool. cool. I'm very fortunate that my son was the only that he is. But yeah, I also think Sean, like everybody loved everybody else more, then there'd be less things to worry about. Like, you only have one life in this world. And you should surround yourself with these people to be positive, not negative in any way. But don't also judge just because you're like, oh, that person's negative. I can't be around them. I can't mess with them. Like no, you never know. They could be putting up a set because someone else is like, yeah, or something like that. And once you get past, get past that outer crust and you get inside there, you might find the gooey part where it's really cool. Yeah. And I think that's how I've always been. I think that's how I'm always going to be. I have this situation where I've been TV done me wrong in the but I'm still going to be me and I'm still going to be that type of person you're trying looking at that way. But I'd always try to put myself around positive people. Yeah. I think that that epidemic that I have is because that's just how I am. But I also think a lot more people should try and be like that. Or if you see someone who's had that show, just try and be like, hey, shit, you don't know. Because maybe that person doesn't have that one person you be like, yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong if you don't know. Oh, definitely. Oh, I also identify as being a people pleaser in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and as trying to see situations through other people's shoes. And yeah, I think you, you 
perfectly. And I do think it all comes down to, I mean, maybe this is a step above what you said, but I, I think it comes down to love, right? And just seeing people for people. And I like my favorite thing about learning about history and other cultures and just being cur a curious person is yeah. you get to see people. It's one thing to be like, the Magna Carta was signed in 15, whatever. I'm totally going to get a bunch of comments on how I screwed up the date, but it's a different thing to say that all these people came together and this is the, the community. And the, these are the people that were moving and shaking in that particular time. Or we talk about Cleopatra as like the most beautiful person, Pharaoh in, in Egypt. And then you talk about how Mark Antony was involved with <laughs> It was like maybe a political thing and it's a power. It could be a power game. It could be like you get to see more of the human experience. And, and ultimately you can't love concepts, but you can love people. Right. So if you understand True. True. that it, it, somebody exactly like you in this crazy situation, we all have this, the shared human experience. That's it. I don't know. I felt like I got up on a soapbox there for a second, but. So I see exactly what you say, because I'll give you, I'll give you an example. And back to my little Samoa thing. Like when you see some of the cultures, like in Samoa, if they're, I think it's called, I forgot the name of it. It's a type of like war call. They do it during, you know, they do it when someone's retiring. It's just a different type of war champ. I, I forget the name of it. I just don't want to say the wrong name because I don't want to be disrespectful. But it's things, it's things like that. It's things like. Oh, back in the day, they would wear like some of like some of the outfits that they wore. Like maybe it's just me, because like, I'll be the first person you think. Like, anyone who knows me and has known me for years knows how silly I truly can be. Like some of the outfits that they wore back in the day were just dope. I don't know why Kanye or someone else hasn't brought them back yet. <laughs> Kanye tried to steal this idea. I wore, <laughs> but like some of the things that they wanted worn and done back in the day. When you see these things, you're like. Yo, don't. That's your, that's, ew. That's the music beats that they've done, some of the cultural things that they've done, uh, just some of the beliefs that they've had. And I think it's maybe just because of the way I am, but I think other cultures, all cultures, and I feel this, and I could be wrong, but this is just my own personal opinion. But I feel that all cultures have something kingdom where someone can appreciate something from it. You don't have to agree with it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be about it or anything like that, but you definitely have to just be like, yo, okay. All right. I can appreciate that. And I think that's what a lot of culture, I think that's when you have like a cross culture thing and faith like that, where you're just like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I can match with that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can see myself doing that. That's why you have some people who will go to different countries and just like hire in those countries because <laughs> some of the things that they see in a different culture is what they'd rather do or rather be about. And that's what I think my books, and I, I shouldn't even say stay. And I gotta give, I gotta give a shout out to my cousin Dan, aka my brother. He basically said to me, never say thing, just always play. And honestly, <laughs> My book, when you look at some of the things, and I would quote, and I would want it to make you think, oh, wow, it's just like that, culture like that. Okay, I never thought of it like that. 
let me try and let me try and see, let me do my due diligence and try and figure out some more stuff or more, some more stuff. And that's just basically how it is. And just when you said about the whole thing about Steve Patrick, like some of the history stuff that I've found out about her. Hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another book, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we can we'll talk maybe off about that a bit more uh, before we start wrapping up terry mm-hmm. it's evident as we're talking about the book and these ideas how animated and how passionate you are since this is a podcast called the meaningful revolution and we talked about how the pandemic spurred you into writing and kind of just falling in and loving it and it seems like what i've noticed and maybe you could agree with this or not that you've taken a lot of the things that you really were interested in and really fired you up and have combined them like with the books, you're teaching history, you're uh, exploring and being, being curious, you're um, sharing your little messages of wisdom because I've heard a couple of them. I'll have to, I have, have to go through my notes again to, to pull out off the top of my head after an hour of talking, but is there, what's the question? So, What do you think has been the most rewarding part of combining all of these different things and actually doing it, right? Because so many people out there, I want to write a book. I want to start a business. I want to start a nonprofit. I want to cure world hunger or solve cancer. I just want to raise kids that are good people. If you've actually have made the decision and have been working in it, what do you think has been the biggest feeling behind I just finding your thing and getting after it. I have to say, like, from everything that you just said about all those examples, I think I've done all those things. It's some pure world hunger. Um, <laughs> but that's going to be the next step, hopefully. But I know for me, doing this process has been the best process ever. If you had asked me years ago, Actually, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, if I'd be a published author, a successful author, I would have told you no. And not even 20 years ago, let's go even, I don't know, when I started this, 2019. So if you even go like four years ago, like mm-hmm. when I started the process really, because like I, I had everything written down, but mm-hmm. I never really went forced into it until the pandemic, which I have to be thankful for that because that's what forced me to do it. But when I was, when this whole process started for me becoming an author, so if you want to be an author, you can be an author. Mm. Don't ever let someone tell you that you can't do something because all that's going to do is make me want to do it more. That's just how I know. Not everyone's built like that. But the way I became an author is this. And I have to say, my daughter, AKA the Pinchuck, when she would, I asked her, like, you do want daddy to read your story? And she was like, yeah, sure. I was like, do you have anything you want me to read? No, not really. I was like, oh, all right. So she and I came up with this story about Sunny the Sun and Cloudy the Cloud. <laughs> it's two opposites to become friends. And that's how it started. But then I was like, you know what? For a friend of fire, let me get some pictures about and Let me go about what it costs or what, what entails for it to be published. And that's when I found out that when you're a publisher, the royalties for your books you really don't make really any pay of it. And I know for me being a Capricorn, and I don't like anyone to throw any of my stuff because I'm like that because I'm an only child. <laughs> so I listened to what it would be like to start my own self-publishing company. So what I did was this. 
and I think this is something that we ain't even really talked about because this might even shock you. I started my own self-publishing company, Pierre Pompey Publishing LLC. So I control everything. I am the CEO. I am the writer. I am the editor. I do everything. Or what I do is I go through everything and I'll send it off to someone else to actually edit some more just to make sure if I made any mistakes that even I am not perfect and I've realized that. So I started my own self-publishing company. So all my books are all controlled by me. So if someone like me could do something like this, anyone can. Mm. So I tell anybody, if they tell you can't do something, in this day and age, in the type of society we're in right now, the type of technology we have, I can't attest to that because I'm horrible in technology because we were getting <laughs> we had a hard time figuring that out. But if you can figure it out, you can figure it out. If you want it bad enough. Secretly, and for all the people on there, the next thing I'm working on is I, I look at this, the stories and I have a picture and stuff like that. And I wanted to reach out to my student and reach out to any other readers. And I was like, what would it take for me to turn it into an animated type of series type thing? They've got all the AI stuff and things like that. It, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be like He-Man, Masters of the Universe, and G.I. Joe and Transformers from back <laughs> in the day. What? It will be the animated pictures that you see inside this book right here. And, sorry, camera. It'll be moving around and different things like that. There'll be audio and things like that. So that's the next step. I don't know if I answered the question. I feel like I went off in a tangent, but I'm trying to just let everybody know that there's something that you're passionate about. And if you not even think, because don't say you think you can do something. You can do it. It's if you want it bad enough. Mm. And if you surround yourself with the the people that you surround yourself who are positive, this is how if that person has your back. If you come up with some kind of idea on how wacky it is or something like that, you can say it in a way where you're like, oh, I don't know if that'll work. But <laughs> you need me to be there for you, I'll be there for you. But never give up on anything. And if there's one thing I've learned, this whole thing of being diagnosed with ADHD has been a blessing. It's not even, I'll never say that it's a curse, it's a damn blessing. The reason why it's a blessing is this. It's helped me be able to reach all the students that I have. And that's why I'm able to reach some of the students I have, because I think like how I want to be taught. And as I can understand it, as shallow as that sounds, if I can understand it, anyone can understand it. If you have any type of thing, like if you have a learning disability or something like that, don't ever let, and, and, I've, and I've said this to all my students, with IEPs or something like that, with a 504, an IEP, or anything like that. You're no different from any other child, any other person. You just learn in a different way. So it is my job as your teacher to figure out the way how you learn and implement it. Mm. That's all it is. And that's how life is. Teaching is life, ladies and gentlemen. Found <laughs> it. Hey, you are... In my, I, I can't agree more with that statement. So <laughs> that is a hundred percent true from my, my world experience too, as a coach and everything. All right, Terry, thank you so much for this fantastic conversation. Where can the good folks go to find out about your current books, your future books, the animated series, anything that's going on in your, your world? What's the best way for people to reach out to you? So the best way to reach out to me, honestly, like a lot of my books right now are actually on amazon.com right now. I just look under Terrence Lynch, which is T-E-R-A-N-C-E. 
Lynch, L-Y-N-G-H. Or if you go to my actual website, which is pierrepontinepublishing.com, P-I-E-R-E-P-O-N-T-E-N dot com. You'll see the entire list of all the books that I actually have written because it's not just the two books I've written. I've also done, I have a, not even a mafia book, it's called The Baldwin's, and like it's based on like my family, and basically it's just a more positive outlook on a family of a West Indian family that is actually creating their own LLC in a positive way, where they're not drug dealers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They did everything the right way, but the antagonist in the book that they have to go against is of the criminal element. But there's different books like that. I've, I've got everything on there. It's crazy how many books that I've actually done. And I have a horror series on there now because of my students, because they wanted me to write a horror book. So I have a couple of horror books in there as well. But you can find everything on Amazon.com or go to TFPartie.com because I'm going to start putting more stuff on there. As I told you before, I'm working on that animated, uh, that animated stuff. And honestly, like, if you guys have any suggestions or anything like that, there's my email address, which is TFPartie.com and gmail.com if you want to send out just like something just to like give me ideas or something like that or something you'd like to see or something for me to work on things like that that would be excellent and i have something that i'm working on i just completed a grant i wrote a grant that's going to allow me to hopefully travel and interview and document like some more different cultures and then write them in different stories so other people can see them and the reason I did that is because for me being from Montreal, like all the elders from Montreal are actually passing away. So I want to get that information up to my generation and the next generation. So it's out there. So that's something we're working on right now. Um, awesome. Don't believe I said we like a key or something like that. It's just me. That'd be a little bit cooler when you say we. Just a few things we're working on. And Sean, like, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I hope we can do this again. Just to talk about something different or yeah. something like that. We'll have a collab. Hopefully me being on here is boosted the rating. And I'd <laughs> love to do like special appearances just to say hi or something like that. That would require me to come out to California, which I have no problems with. Wait, do I have to bring a show? <laughs> yeah, secret between yeah, you and me. Ashley's yeah. definitely not listening right now, so it's our secret. I'm sure my son's somewhere around here, so it's probably so long, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Sean, thank you so much, Lavin. Look at some of the stuff that you got and everybody started checking out Sean from the Sean stuff. He's a wonderful, he's a wonderful human being that's doing something that's needed in this world. To anybody else there who feels down or something like that, reach out to a friend, listen to Sean. Sean's just doing positive things, Sean. But I, I can't even, I can't even hype you up enough more than I have because like, some of the stuff that you've done has just been like amazing so I have to say thank you thank you that, that's it means a lot man and so with that everyone with mission and purpose get out there put your positive out in the world find your thing write your books start your businesses whatever you gotta do Terry again thank you so much for being on and yeah we'd love to have you back and when you get your next series out or whatnot let us know and we can talk about that i think people would really love it i would really love that it and that sounds amazing cool right. with that we'll see you guys on the next episode of the meaningful revolution podcast much love and many blessings everyone mm -hmm.